This is the Yada Yada Podcast, where we get to the heart of the Christian sexual ethic with biblical truths and real talk about sex, purity, and relationships. We're your hosts, Ashley and Amber from Across My Heart Ministries. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of our first season of Yada Yada. Wow, the final episode. I can't believe it. We started this back in September. And now here we are. End of November. And we've had some great conversations about sexuality, God's good design for sex, the intimacy that's really integral to God's design, Mm. and how there's so much to knowing and being known, not just in the sexual union of marital love, but in the ultimate covenant love of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I feel like it has been an awesome journey. And if you've made it this far with us, thank you. Yeah, thank you. We have really enjoyed creating these episodes as sisters Mm -hmm. and as two people who are just passionate about these conversations. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, inspiring the church to have a better understanding of God's good design. So today we are going to talk about the wedding night, kind of the culmination, right, of a lot of people's journey of sexual purity. They think about saving sex for marriage, you know, Mm -hmm. that phrase that we've said in past episodes. We don't like the the idea of saving yourself (laughs) for marriage. We don't save ourselves. We we give ourselves to God. Mm. But, But still there's this this idea surrounding the altar as as the finish line. Mm-hmm. Your wedding night is there, and finally, you you consummate your marriage. And so we thought this would be a great final episode. But we're going to kind of flip that narrative on its head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because we don't believe that the altar is actually the finish line. Mm. Nope. In a lot of ways, it's the starting line. Mm-hmm. The starting line of a lifetime of faithfulness, fidelity, and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so you are carrying into your marriage the sexual purity that that you have fought so hard for up to that point. Mm-hmm. That God has cleansed you, that he's created you as a pure bride, mm-hmm. as his pure bride. And you're you're entering into this covenant of marriage. So whether you're married and your wedding night seems like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you're single and you think, I'll, I'll never have a wedding night. Or maybe you're engaged right now and you are eagerly anticipating how many days away until your wedding. We hope that you can see in this episode um, what we're trying to communicate, which is the faithful love that is practiced before the altar in preparation for the marriage. Mm. Um, that all of these conversations about sexual purity aren't just so you can make it to your wedding day, but so you can set up your life and your relationship for that faithfulness and intimacy. Yeah. For your wedding night and... Every night after. Exactly. So... You've made it to the wedding. Yeah. It's done. Your husband and wife. Woohoo. The reception has come to a close. And the big day isn't quite over yet. Because <laughs> you still have 
the wedding night. You're speeding away in your getaway car. <laughs> yep. You can't go fast I enough. Still, I still remember the moment when I looked across the room and it was like, okay, the reception is it's coming to a close. It's, it's time, it's time, to, time head to out of here. It's time to head out. And and as, as excited, which both my husband and I, we were... And you guys got to leave right away. Yeah. We had a car that was saran wrapped by oh, all yeah. of our groomsmen. You did. And so we're so excited to leave. And then everyone's standing there in a circle watching us painstakingly try to just even get into the car. So <laughs> I we remember can go. that. Nope. No one sabotaged our car like that. <laughs> Good no memory. one sabotaged it. But there's that moment of anticipation as you leave the reception. And whether the idea of the wedding night is something that makes you giggle or it's something that just fills you with anticipation it's a big deal to yeah. every bride and every groom as it should be as it should be mm-hmm. and to say that yeah i was i was very eagerly looking forward to to my wedding night <laughs> um i had diligently you know prepared my perfect undergarments what i wore (laughs) under my wedding dress all day Uh, i talked to different married women Mm. about their experiences so that i i didn't go into that first our our first uh sexual experience together right (laughs) just completely um unaware of you know kind of what to what to expect what to anticipate yeah uh and so I was I, I tried to get myself mentally and emotionally prepared, tried not to really place too many specific expectations, mm. you know, like I wanted it to just be what we made it together. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I was excited. I was very excited. I loved Vince and I was very ready to experience all of him mm. and to be experienced by him in that way. And what a beautiful picture after you have just, just vowed to each other your whole self, right? Mm-hmm. Like the beauty of the wedding night is that it truly is that that culmination of this covenant you just made. It's the physical sign mm-hmm. of a covenant. That That's a yep. whole life covenant. And I love how you mentioned, Amber, that you talk to married women in preparation for your wedding night. Yep. Because I think that that's an important part of the wedding night uh, before before the wedding night that, mm-hmm. to prepare for it. And talking to married couples that you trust is something that should always be part of that preparation. In fact, sex should really always be discussed at premarital counseling. Um, if it isn't, your counselors are skipping a crucial part to the well-being of your marriage. And now that Joseph and I have been married for seven years, mm-hmm. we actually had the opportunity to do premarital counseling for a couple the very first time yeah, ever. that's right. Actually, did. Alyssa and Owen along John, um, Alyssa on our team. And that was such a privilege to be able to guide those conversations in preparation for their marriage. And there was actually part of the session where... I took the soon-to-be bride aside, and and he took the soon-to-be groom aside for private conversations about how to prepare for the wedding night. Mm. And yeah. some of those details, you know, we're not going to share on this podcast, but it's important to have those conversations about sexual expectations and practical pointers on it as well. Yeah, because if all that has educated you is Hollywood... 
Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're just not set well, up well for reality. No. <laughs> because everything there is staged and planned and filmed and repeated to, you know, look perfect and look a certain way, come across a certain way. And so you really need to have those authentic and genuine conversations and with not, couples that you trust. Not only the aesthetic of it all, you know, that you see in Hollywood, but also the anatomy of it all. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I took for granted that I was greatly blessed by was that my husband, He's he was a biology major at the time. Mm. He was applying for um, medical school. He's a physician assistant now. And he was much more educated in the technical aspects of sexuality be- because of a true understanding of anatomy and just the mm-hmm. way that everything works where I have never been a science minded person. No. And you might not think that that's important, but it actually is important to yeah, and we have actually... a basic understanding um, going into your wedding night, more than just like the birds and the bees conversation that you may have had with your parents. Well, and we, and both of us actually at the time, you and I had the same OB that we went to yes. before we were married. And and the PA that we saw knew that we were virgins. Mm. And she actually had a really good conversation with me about it. Really? And I don't know if she did with you, but no. like, yeah, just kind of like preparing me for things how they would feel like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, just knowing that that was something that I hadn't ever experienced before so that I, yeah, just having those practical conversations. Having those practical conversations. And because, you know, on our wedding night, both my husband and I were virgins. As were we. And, you know, um, there was this, there was one, we did, there's so many things going into just culturally the psyche. That, uh, yeah, that can go into your expectations of what that first sexual experience is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And there was actually one metaphor that actually came out of the purity movement that also could set people up for having wrong expectations. <laughs> yeah. And that was uh, when they compared your virginity to this uh, perfectly wrapped gift. And right. like wanting to present your spouse with this perfectly wrapped gift on your wedding night. And like that was sort of um, part of the the vision that was cast to to try to uh, um, inspire, inspire you. There's yeah. what I was looking for. Yeah, inspire you to keep this nicely wrapped package. You didn't want it crumpled. You didn't want it crumpled and torn apart. And, and torn and apart and have having already been opened. And that message, although, you know, they were trying to be inspirational – had a few negative, yes, <laughs> negative, uh, uh, shame inducing, shame inducing messages that came along with it. Yeah, because somebody who had already, you know, had sex felt like, well, now I'm just a crumpled up package. Right. There's no way that you can take a crumpled up package and make it look pretty again. Completely missed the true concept of purity, salvific purity. Yeah, being something that can be redemptive because yeah. Jesus is who makes us pure. He can Amen. take a new piece of wrapping paper <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and remake that package all nice again. There we go. That's going to be our new thing. Let's yeah, take maybe all we the should. analogies of like all the bad analogies because there were good, some good ones too. Yes. But all the bad analogies of the purity movement and then or reuse them. them and redo them. No. But the, the second one that particularly, particularly for people who had waited – 
So that was kind of the message for people who who maybe had had um you know had decisions that they regretted with their purity and their virginity. But those who had waited, it sort of set you up to think, well, my my spouse is going to know how to unwrap the pack- package. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I'm this perfectly wrapped package and he's going to know what what to do. Yeah. <laughs> like he's he's also a virgin and he's just going to automatically know how to open this package yeah, you're perfectly. both perfectly wrapped presents who's gonna unwrap the presents you know? um so yeah message so, number one you know obviously is a powerful one and we ta- we kind of tackle that a little more in detail in the first two episodes as yes. to how purity is redemptive and yes. and all that and so we want to kind of focus on message number two today yeah in this episode and a generation of girls uh who made this abstinence you know, pledge girls and boys, not just girls, but girls and boys, in kind of this anticipation and hope of a passionate wedding night, only to discover that their spouse, who often were virgins themselves, had no clue what they were actually doing <sighs> on that night. And depending going into that night, how good your communication skills were, like how how well you just established those in general with right. the person that you're in- engaged to. Um, that wedding night could actually fall short of what you'd always hoped and dreamed it would be. Right. It could lead to frustration as your first, you know, sexual encounter. The thing that you'd been saving yourself for and protecting ended up being a disappointment. Mm. And a lot of women reflect on their experience that way with bitterness then towards these, you know, promises of the purity movement. And yep. and we talk about that a little bit in the first couple episodes as well. Yep. And so somewhere along the line in the, you know, saving yourself, protecting that, um, that sexual purity for marriage, you began to believe a lie or, or people began to believe a lie or we, we can be tempted to believe a lie. And that's that the goal of the wedding night is passionate hot sex (laughs) and that's where cultures creeped in you know kind of given us this idea of that's like what sex needs to be in order for it to be good and some people even um even could take it as far as thinking like that's what god is going to bless me with because i've saved myself like that's the reward yeah uh, because i've saved myself even though neither of you have any sexual experience, you know, going going in, um, natural instinct would just, you know, kind of take over and, and make that be the thing that happens. But that is not not true. Not realistic. And again, if you're if if you're thinking and using that language of I'm saving myself, I'm saving myself, yep. you're you probably have other skewed mindsets, you know. You're you're probably putting too much weight in your own perfect performance yep and uh that phrase you know which we've mentioned at the beginning of this episode i've mentioned in other episodes it just misses that we're not the ones who save well ourselves and, and it also shows you know when it also shows that you're like wanting a reward for your well, good you're behavior. wanting a reward for your good behavior but that your your focus even even in in protecting that sexual purity and working to to, to, to save honor that God. and honor that, yeah. that 
you were still focusing mostly on the physical aspect of sex. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And not act, you didn't actually have a holistic view of everything that goes into the act of sex and mm-hmm. the fact that it's not just physical. Right. But there's this whole other level of intimacy and relationship building that's happening. Right. Yeah, because if you're heading into your wedding night thinking that, you know, God has to bless you with this crazy hot sex because you've done everything right, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And you said it before, but I think it's showing that Hollywood and culture probably are influencing your perspectives more than you may realize. Yep. But I do want to add a caveat here, because even though your first experience might not be like a Hollywood film, just like your just because your first experience, you know, um, you're going to be new at it. You're not going to be experienced. <laughs> mm-hmm. Does that mean it's going to be awkward? No. Mm-mm. Doesn't have to be. Not at all. Because this this is the person that you love the most in the world. That you feel you're going to build a life together. Yeah. At this point, so comfortable with that you're willing to promise the rest of your life to them. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not going to be awkward. I mean, it might, it, it, it's going to be new, but to say that it's awkward um, is kind of missing the beauty of it. And I, I, I use this phrase because at my own bachelorette party, I wore a shirt that read, I saved myself for awkward honeymoon sex. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I and wore it too. You, <laughs> I wore it too. Now that I think we about it. Wore it, you we wore it first, wore it. and then I wore it. And you know, I'm able to later. laugh about that idea. Like we we laughed about it then, um, because we we ha- we've always had a good sense of humor about these things. Like mm-hmm. we we knew that it wasn't going to be a Hollywood f- fade to black cutscene. Um, but the one thing that that shirt got wrong. Is that it? It wasn't awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're not going to be skilled at it. You're not going to be a professional. But just because you may be inexperienced, you're not going to feel awkward with the person, like I said, that you love the most. Mm-hmm. You are learning together as you love each other, and you are giving your whole self and your whole life to this person. And also, I. <laughs> I got to find the humor in it because my husband and I, we were the two people who had sex on our honeymoon and our wedding night. And we just thought we were great at it. Like, (laughs) I don't know if it's our ego or just like our sense of confidence, but we were just like, wow, we're really good at this. (laughs) And, And looking back now, it makes me laugh because I think, of course, we thought we were good because... You had nothing else to compare it to. to compare it to, yeah. And so it's it's also a perspective shift, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you comparing it to? Because if you are comparing it to Hollywood, if that's what's filling your mind, mm-hmm. then you're gonna feel like, well, I fall short. short. I'm not a professional sex worker. Um, thank God. Uh, but if you are realizing that this is your first, ex- it's gonna be the greatest experience you ever had, mm. right? Because it's your first experience, and it's together. It's with the person you love the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And you either can focus on, if if you sit and you, I mean, what you choose to focus on is going to then cloud that memory. 
yeah. for the rest of your life? Like, are you going to focus on the things that didn't go the way that you wanted them to? Or are you going to focus on the foundation that was laid? Yeah. And the th- what did, you know, what you did enjoy? And, you know, all those first moments. Yeah. <laughs> and there truly is a foundation. There is. That is being laid. And that, that really is, uh, you know, because... We can think like, well, if being a virgin doesn't help me have better sex, then what's it good for? I mean, obviously, it's good because God says it's good. Amen. <laughs> and there really doesn't need to be much more of a reason. We trust that the things that God calls good are for our good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately, he usually gives us more than just that <laughs> um, to, to go on. Yeah. And, you know, being a virgin might not help you have hot sex on your wedding night, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to help you have better sex. You see, your wedding night, it isn't just about lovemaking. It's about laying a foundation of sexual intimacy mm-hmm. on which your your future sexual experiences are going to be built. It's about knowing your spouse in an intimate way that no one else does and no one else ever will. And it's about being known by your spouse in that same way. I mean, we've talked about yada many times throughout this first season of our podcast, that knowing, that being known, that being deeply respected. There's nothing in there about pleasure and orgasms or living out fantasies. (laughs) It's something that's much richer and much deeper that just, it transcends just the physical. Although knowing each other physically is definitely part of it. I mean, God created us to be able to enjoy each other physically and have pleasure. I mean, he, he created those things and those are good, mm-hmm. but it's not the only thing. Right. And sometimes on the wedding night, it can be hard to fully understand how to make those things work if you're not experienced, but you're still laying the foundation yeah. of the, that intimacy. And the holistic understanding Yep. Of the emotional foundation that's being laid along with the physical. Yep. In, um, in her book, uh, What Are You Waiting For? Dana Gresh, she really digs into the word, digs, digs deep into the word yada, and she unpacks it uh, in the context of married love as well as in our relationship with God. And it's a great read that I highly recommend if this word intrigues you and you just don't feel like you've got enough of it in... These past ten episodes. These past ten episodes of our podcast. You can get even more. You can get even more by reading. By reading. We should her. do a giveaway. We should. With this we episode should. Um, of that book, because yeah, that that was a valuable it's, it's read. The for title me. of our podcast and that book talks a lot about that it does. word. So it does. It would be fitting with our final episode. Yep. So there is immense value in virginity, and being a virgin on your wedding night. Uh, virginity doesn't make you a more more valuable as a person. That's a very important, a very important message to get across. It doesn't make you a more valuable person, but it does have value. Mm-hmm. It is the way that God created things. It was his desire from the get-go that husband and wife would not know anyone else in that way but each other. So there's value there to bring that to your wedding. It's the heart of God that a husband and a wife are to be known by each other exclusively. And virginity helps to build yada, you know, bringing 
are, are, are saving saving that virginity for your for marriage or you know going into your wedding night as a virgin yeah. it lays a foundation a more natural foundation for yada because you don't have other sexual experiences that you have to work through right um and that you've had to surrender to god and there's a there's a there's a process of forgiving yourself, forgiving mm. the other person. Yeah. And it's not that you can't go into your wedding night and you know, create wonderful yada with your husband uh having had other sexual encounters, but going in as a virgin just helps that process more naturally. Right. Um so Vincent and me going in uh, as virgins, just it helped with the yada because there was an ease to which we were able to be vulnerable with one another. There was an absence of sexual baggage from previous relationships, and the de- the delight also. There was a delight there in knowing that we had abstained from all others, that we had put uh, value on our sexual purity for that night. Absolutely. And that I had, you know, that he had said, I wanted to save this for you. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I got to say, I wanted to save this for you. And I did. And so there was just that, that was such a precious and beautiful moment that we'd waited for years um, to be able to, to, to give that to one another. And we didn't actually even know, you know, we didn't know that that moment would come for sure. Like we don't, we don't, we don't choose sexual purity because we think we're going to be promised a spouse. Right. We choose it because it's what honors God. Right. But we also choose it knowing that it being part of His design. Amen. It's which is going I, to be very honoring to a spouse if we're blessed with that. Yeah. Which is again why the phrasing "save sex for marriage" falls short of "give your whole self to God." Yep. We did it to honor each other, and we also did it to honor God. Amen. And our waiting was rewarded with a natural intimacy. Right. So, you know, the the the, the physical part, we, we got to figure out. Yep. <laughs> it was great fun. Uh, the natural, like, the, what I really feel is the reward mm. is that natural intimacy that you get. Yeah. That emotional intimacy, that foundation that you're building upon for the rest of your marriage. Again, it's not just about that one wedding night, you know, that first sexual encounter. It's about the first of many, many. Yep. It's about the foundation that's being laid. And if you're listening to this and you're becoming discouraged because you aren't a virgin, um, let me extend some hope. Amber, Amber did a great job at including this um, in her conversation as well. But but just as a reminder that you can still know yada with mm-hmm. your spouse someday. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's by no means lost for you because nope. Jesus is in the business of restoration. Yep. He's in the business of redemption. He is the one who made us pure in the first place yep. and makes us pure again. So he can take your sexual regrets things that happened to you that were out of your control. Mm-hmm. He can bring healing and you can experience the depths of sexual intimacy with your spouse. Mm-hmm. But 
it won't be an easy journey. No, you have to do there's you have to do the work to get there. Healing requires surrender, mm-hmm. forgiveness, yep, vulnerability. You have to open your heart and your pain up to God mm-hmm. with complete transparency and with your future spouse. Yep. You have to have those conversations and that openness to have that deep level of intimacy with them. Yep. Because if you hide something from them, you are putting you're you're putting a block in your intimacy. Yeah. And your ability to to cultivate intimacy with your spouse. And when we do things outside of God's design, there are always consequences. But there's also always a way back. Yep. As long as there's breath in our lungs, there is restoration and redemption that's waiting for us. And it's it's work um, that that proves he his ways are the best ways mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah, and if we if we follow them from the start, there's that natural just path that you walk. And the work it takes to get back there shows that he had our best interest in mind all along. Like mm-hmm. that God's ways are the best ways. They are the best for us. But it'll always be worth it in the end. Regardless of where you're starting your journey today, listening to this episode, yep. there is hope for you. And it's always worth it. Waiting is worth it. If you're a virgin listening to this episode, it's worth it. Yeah. If you're a virgin listening, waiting is worth it. If you're not and you're listening, doing the hard work of restoration is worth worth it. it. Yep. Because God's ways are the best. Mm -hmm. And Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 remind us of this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So what Vince and I gave to each other on our wedding night, I really, I wholeheartedly believe it was far better than sexual prowess. Our lack of sexual experience with others actually helped us lay a strong foundation for our sexual intimacy with each other, for knowing and being known. The skill, you know, it may not have been there, but our foundation with that with that strong foundation we were able to build, the pleasure of sex has only increased as we've learned more and more about each other. And, you know, as we've had more practice. (laughs) So waiting, you know, it isn't always it's not always easy. Mistakes sometimes are made along the way. But as we've said you know, God's grace is there. And saving yourself for, quote unquote, awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Not awkward. (laughs) Not awkward. Uh, Honeymoon sex, it's worth it. It's totally worth it because it only gets better from there. And you are setting yourself up for a lifetime if you continue to walk in sexual purity of faithfulness and fidelity and intimacy and and the true blessings or rewards, if that's what you want to call them, come not from crossing the finish line at the altar, 
but from continuing to walk in that faithfulness of sexual purity. Yep. And so in many ways, the altar is not the finish line. It is, it's the starting line because my husband, Joseph and I, we also saved sex for marriage and it wasn't easy. It was very, very difficult. Um, in fact, I often say that if I would have loved Joseph more than I loved God, we would have had sex. Mm. Oh, that's a good way to... It was only that- out of a love for God that I was able to walk out purity throughout our engagement. What was the hardest period of time for you? Um, Mine was like the two-month mark. We were like two months out because eight weeks still seemed like so far away. Once we got in that last month, like that home stretch, it was like, okay, we're good. Ours was actually right after, yeah, ours was right after we got engaged and we started to look at each other as like, this is the person I'm going to marry. So it just okay, yeah. increased, got that much harder. Yep. And then it actually got easier for us when, um, yeah, it was only a couple months away. We had a six month engagement. So I would say the first four months were the hardest and the final two months were like, okay, well, if we ruin it for ourselves now, like that's just silly. Uh (laughs) Our engagement was four months. So it was a little shorter. Uh So that two month mark for whatever reason was like still halfway point. Yeah, it still seemed so far. (laughs) And it was, it was hard. It's not easy. But the reality is it's never going to be easy because sexual sin exists before and after the altar. And so if you are a married person listening to this episode, if you're single, if you're engaged, there is sexual temptation in your life. Mm -hmm. And the road of sexual purity isn't just about abstinence. Purity isn't just about abstinence. It's about faithfulness. It's about fidelity. It's about integrity. It's about honoring your future spouse, your spouse, your body, honoring God with the choices that you make regarding your sexuality. And so Joseph and I, we were, I'd say, I'd say we were pretty realistic about that, about our engagement being a training ground for mm. our perspective on sexual purity, not just before marriage, but after marriage. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Um, because we weren't each other's spouse yet. And how were we going to, you know, treat other people who aren't your spouse someday? Like, mm-hmm. that carries over after your marriage. And not only in physical intimacy, but also things like, you know, the movies that you're watching. Um, we were talking about Hollywood and their sex scenes well that's assuming that you've seen them or you've watched them yeah what are you filling your mind with um pornography erotica things that threaten the faithfulness and fidelity of your marriage Mm -hmm. not just before the altar but after and so in that way your wedding night is not the finish line it's a starting line. It's another, it's a continuation, mm-hmm. really, of this race that we're running. In Hebrews 12, we read, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin 
which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Mm. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm. That verse gets it. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus who perfects us. It's Jesus who purifies us. This is a race that we are running. We're not going to cross the finish line this side of heaven. We have to remain faithful with sexual integrity before and after the altar and lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us, the sexual sin that's so pervasive in our culture today. And realize that this intimacy that Amber was talking about, it comes from respecting each other's bodies, our own bodies, God, being transparent and accountable from the very beginning of, of your relationship through your marriage mm-hmm. and building that, that foundation. Because sexual sin is and temptation is something that isn't going to just disappear just because you're married. And I, I we didn't make it through our engagement because there wasn't any sexual temptation. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's not like you've never been sexually tempted since you've been married. Right. I was not able to <laughs> successfully suppress my sexuality. And I didn't want to. Yeah. I was very aware of my sexual desire. And I wasn't ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I respected my sexual desire. As a woman who was preparing for marriage, that sexual desire that, yes, at times I had to fight, it also made me excited Mm -hmm. that this was a great gift that God had given me. As sexual beings, we're created with sexual longings and desires. I knew that to be a woman of God, I didn't just want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Yeah. I wanted to be a Song of Solomon wife. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, yeah. (laughs) And I knew that in order to be a Song of Solomon wife, I had to put sexuality in its proper place, Mm. which is God's design. Mm -hmm. He knows the best way. Yep. Despite our feelings or our longings, we have to follow his way and trust that it is best for us. And I, I wanted my sexuality to reflect God's love, like, like we've talked about in so many episodes. And I knew that being a Song of Solomon wife is part of loving well. And so I thought a fun way to end this episode with the little bit of time that we have left would be by actually looking at the Song of Solomon. Um, you might remember on a previous, epi- previous episode, I had mentioned that Joseph and I studied this on our honeymoon for inspiration for sex. <laughs> and most recently, I studied it in my wisdom literature class this past semester. So it's kind of fresh on my mind. And it's a really beautiful poem, love poetry, found in the Old Testament scriptures. If you've never read it, I would suggest reading it, familiarizing yourself with it, because it really displays what... 
God's design for marital love should be like. And for much of the early church, actually, many Jewish writers interpreted um, the Song of Solomon as an allegory of God's love for Israel, hmm. which isn't isn't surprising because of the way that God speaks of Israel in prophetic literature, um, his love for them. They're his bride, and he talks about, you know, them uh, worshiping false idols as prostitution. And so there's definitely some sexual allegory mm-hmm. that's consistent with the idea of yada, right? Mm-hmm. That God yeah. has this this deep, intimate love for us. And so we see that sexuality can be that display of God's love for the church, for Israel in the Old Testament. And that's not surprising that for many years, church fathers and Jewish writers interpreted Song of Solomon that way. But it is undeniably also, or I would actually say more so, a literal love poem. Mm. And this is something that, in my opinion, should be fairly undisputed because it has too many similarities to ancient Near East love poetry, specifically Egyptian love poetry, hmm. to just to deny that. Um, what we're reading in Song of Solomon is a literal encounter between a husband and a wife, um, a betrothed. So in, in preparation for their wedding night, the longing for sex, and then the unfolding of that sexual encounter. The Song of Solomon captures the universal realities of human emotion. And therefore, it's not surprising that it shares similarities with other love songs written across time. But specifically, like I mentioned, in Egypt, we see a lot of um, those similarities, you know, the celebration of sexuality, the references to love sickness, <laughs> of actually being sick in love, um, the papyrus Harris number five or 500 number six reads, she'll put the doctors to shame for she alone will understand my illness. <laughs> and in Song of Solomon, we hear um, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am sick with love. So this idea of just of love sickness, of longing, mm-hmm. there's shared language of pomegranates and wine and fruits, spices and orchards to describe the sexual experience. They give the woman a voice to speak and express her sexuality. Huh. I mean, yeah, that is a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. And it also revolves around the lover's relationship and their interaction. Rather than like uh, Sumerian love poems, which they would focus on sex as a ritual to the fertility gods. Hmm. It was devoid of relationship. Yes. Yeah. And so we see those similarities between Egyptian love poetry and and what's in the Song of Solomon. Um, They refer to each other as as prince and and royalty. Talking about, I I don't know why, but I just I see I could see that being a very uh, prevalent thing in Egyptian writing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it shows your like awe for that person, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That you're treating them like nobility. 
and just that deep seeking and longing for one another when you're not together. So those are all similarities. Um, But of course, there's differences in what we see in the world's secular love poems in Egypt and what's in the Bible. One of the big differences is that Egyptian love poetry is purely monologue. But in Song of Solomon, they're speaking to each other. Yeah. There's dialogue there. Uh Uh-huh. Speaking back and forth, which I think says something about how our sexual experiences should be. We need to be communicating with each other during our sexual encounters. And Amber referenced that earlier in the episode. Like, your experiences are going to be very dependent on your ability to communicate well with Mm -hmm. each other. Also, one of the papyrus in Egypt opens with the phrase, these are the beginnings of the sayings of the great entertainer. And so they would literally read love poetry as like an inter- a form of entertainment, hmm. which is quite erotic, mm-hmm. um, alluding to the idea that, yeah, the poems were written to entertain people, which is makes me kind of uncomfortable. But the Song of Songs begins by declaring that it belongs to Solomon and is written. It doesn't doesn't seem as though it's written for erotic entertainment, but rather the celebration of marital love, of a a true private encounter that we can learn from. Hmm. So just it seems like there's a different purpose. And of course, we know that's true of biblical literature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Song of Solomon, the function of it isn't to be purely descriptive of human passion, but prescriptive of how marital love should be enjoyed. And so we can we can look to that book for some inspiration and as a model of that deep sexual intimacy that can be enjoyed in the marriage bed. Yeah, that's beautiful. So... We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. It's the conclusion of our final episode for this season. And we really hope that you have enjoyed it, whatever age you are. Uh, As a ministry, you know, we started off mostly speaking to just middle school girls. But as our ministry has matured over the years, we believe that's it's no longer enough just to warn middle school girls about their coming sexual challenges, but that we need to stick with them through the thick of it. So whether a middle school girl or a college graduate, women's sexual problems have the same solution. And that solution is passionately pursuing the heart of God. It's not some fixed idea with a one-time commitment to purity, but it's a daily posture of our hearts. It's a nice idea that we can somehow focus our efforts on just young girls and, you know, get them while they're young, get them believing the right things while they're young. But many women who are broken today sexually believed the Bible in middle school. They believed God's word was true, but the voice of culture somehow crept in and drowned it out along the way. So as a ministry, you know, we want to help navigate that confusing journey with them, with every blog that we write, with every retreat we lead, every conference we hold. um, We enjoy the privilege of sharing God's truths. Uh, 
because there is freedom and there is joy and there is clarity when we pursue purity. Mm. We hope if there's one thing that you've gotten out of this podcast would be a deeper longing for intimacy with the God who created it all. And realizing that your sexuality isn't just this evil thing to be avoided. It's a good gift from God that that should be cherished and protected. And whether you're married or you're single, we have an intrinsic desire for intimacy. And that's an integral part of our sexuality. It's meant to draw us into relationship. And yes, that is true of a marital relationship with your spouse, but ultimately we have the opportunity to have an exclusive, unifying, intimate relationship with the lover of our souls. Amen. To have a deep, intimate connection, a covenantal love with Jesus Christ. That's the greatest relationship you can ever have. And if you want continued encouragement and resources on this journey of passionately pursuing the heart of God with your whole life, you can follow us. Follow Across My Heart Ministries on on Facebook, Instagram, read our blog at acrossmyheartministries.com and stay tuned for more resources in your pursuit of God because that's that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We are are passionately pursuing Him with our whole lives and we want to invite you to do the same. So thank you for joining us for this 10-episode season. Yeah. And we're hoping... To have another season in the future. We are indeed. Until then, know and be known.